Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Mastery in Theaters Now edition. We are reviewing the movies you suggest to us. I am your host, John. As always, Jeff is also here. Indeed, I am. So, this month, as with every month since we started doing this, we had a poll up so that you could vote on what movie you wanted us to see in a theater. The voter turnout was low because no one gives a shit, rightfully, about September. Nope, this is a garbage movie month, and man, I just can't wait until we also hit that January-February slump. Oh yeah, that's going to be good times. Nothing but Oscar movies that weren't as good as they expected them to be, and horror films that needed to get buried somewhere. (laughs) Welcome to January. Oh, also off-brand superhero films. That tends to end up in February. Yeah, no, those is three months. is basically September, January, and February, the worst. Yeah, yeah, because at least October, which would be a dead month otherwise, gets all the horror movies. Yeah, everyone saves their good horror for October, so you're like, oh, you got something to look forward to. Yeah, and November has, oh, for some reason, there's always something pretty cool to watch in November. Like, well, November, December is all the Oscar bait stuff. Yeah, although this year I am looking forward to that Doctor Strange coming out in November. Well, I mean, Oscar bait, hello. Yeah, right? I know. How are they going to pa- pass up both Benedicts that are in that movie? All of these Benedicts. You got a Wong and a Cumberbatch. Man. You got a nice Wong Cumberbatch. <laughs> uh, the ladies love my Wong Cumberbatch. <laughs> All right. So uh, so yeah. anyway, we had a low turnout. No, we're not blaming you, but you know, vote next time. Come on. <laughs> so uh, by one vote, barely winning out over Blair Witch for the month was Bridget Jones's Baby. Bridget Jones's Baby. I want my Bridget Jones's baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. <laughs> Bridget Jones's baby's day out of Africa. <laughs> oh, Bridget Jones's baby geniuses. Bridget Jones's Rosemary's baby. <laughs> the sequel, of course, to Bridget Jones's Edge of Tomorrow, which itself is the sequel to Bridget Jones's Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bridget Jones's Tyler Perry's Medea's <laughs> Family Christmas. <laughs> Uh, I'd watch that. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we will give you our spoiler-free review because I know that most of you listening to this are just champing at the bit, waiting to go see Bridget Jones. And you were waiting. You were just waiting to see what we would say about it. I'm pretty sure it's chomping at the bit. No, champing. No, I'm pretty sure it's chomping at the I'm bit. I'm pretty sure it's champing. Look, it's a mute point. Let's just move on. <laughs> Ah, uh, the devil. <laughs> Arguments like these are a diamond dozen. <laughs> oh, that was my favorite Bowie album. <laughs> the Diamond Dozen? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so, right. yeah. So, we, <laughs> we'll we give you the spoiler-free, just the sort of top-level review of it, and then we'll get into the full review after the little break that we're going to have. But let's go ahead and just give our initial impressions here All right. of Bridget Jones's Behaby. All right, let me start this off. Sean, do you like music of the type that they would put in a shampoo commercial that would work on your mom? God damn, do I ever. Well, then you're going to love this movie. <laughs> a movie that has like 50 songs in it, and any time one of them stops, even if it's in the middle of a scene, you can almost hear an intern in the editing room scrambling to put on another one. Yep, they just have a giant list of songs that are like, these are things that your mom would probably enjoy, ranging from... Oh, this is kind of fun, and I remember this. To oh, this is a one of those hip hop songs, but it's okay. It's from the '90s. Yeah, yeah, we've got some of those. Like the movie opens. I guess it wouldn't be spoiling to say the movie opens 
with her looking all frumpy and sad and, and listening to All By Myself. Yeah. And then she gets mad at listening to All By Myself and puts on House of Pain, and that's our introduction is her dancing around and lip-syncing jump around. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. And so the... Uh, Spoiler-free review. So without actually giving anything away, I'm going to go ahead and say I hate this movie. Let me ask another question here, John. Did you see either of the other Bridget Jones films? Oh, of course. I'm a huge fan. That's why I'm so angry at this. It's sort of like the crystal skull of Bridget Jones movies. All right. Now, on a serious note, (laughs) have you seen either of the other Bridget Jones movies? No, of course not. (laughs) Neither have I. But from what I could gather about the first one, it's supposed to be like a relatable story for for middle-aged women because the character isn't perfect and doesn't have like a perfect life. Well, yeah, the whole point of it is like, oh, I'm kind of overweight. I'm not exactly the most perfect person in the world. I'm tactless and I curse a lot. And And so you have like this person that you could sort of relate to. Yeah. And then she has to make a decision on whether or not like... Someone she's known for a long time, like, do I want to get with this person or whatever, and... Yeah, because she could get with this, or she could get with that. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. What could she get with? Well, she could get with this, or she could get with that. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Or she could come with us. (laughs) (laughs) So, Bridget Jones. Bridget Jones. Bridget Jones. played by Renee Zellweger. Is... Has moved on from that. Yeah, now it's... This movie is straight up. Here's my my one-sentence spoiler-free review... This is a Sex in the City style victory lap of a movie. This is, you may have heard this term bandied around before. I know we have used it, especially for screamers. Yeah. Which is the term dad porn. Ah, yes, dad porn, which would describe a film like Taken, which is designed to inflame the passions of older dad dudes who are like, well, I could still be a badass if my family was in danger. Yeah, you have a movie about an older guy who's a badass and the ladies love him, but he's also a family man, yeah. and he's super competent, but and also knows what he's going to do. Like He's not like always a badass. Like he's, he's like, I'm a suburban dad, but if you push the right buttons... Oh, yeah. So it's it's that kind of, oh, yeah, you, th- here's this guy who's like the same age as me, and he's amazing, and I, I could be like him. And it has the problem of the no faults. Yeah. Like, whenever you have an action movie and there's no faults in your protagonist and they're just like i'm a super action badass and nothing is ever wrong for me i'm like this is boring yeah and that's sort of what dad porn is yeah this movie is mom porn is mom porn exactly it it doesn't exactly present her as having no faults i mean she's still mealy-mouthed and unwilling to confront problems and but she isn't in this movie she's still basically throughout the whole film there is very little that ends up being a problem for her. Well, no, she just stumbles from success to success. It's it's uh, it's like reading the. I always forget the name. I think it's the Rex Morgan M.D. comic strip in the comics. Like uh, I, I know you don't. You have no idea what I'm talking about because you're not 80. Uh, <laughs> but there, are, there, are the, there's that little block of comics at the top of the comics page that everyone always skips because it's got your Mary Worth. And your apartment 3G, and your Rex Morgan MD, and maybe you're like Mary Star if you're in a lucky neighborhood. But Rex Morgan MD is a doctor who is also a judge or something. And every see every single one is just three panels where someone comes up and goes, "Doctor Rex, here's a free houseboat. Also, you won a million dollars in a contest." And then it just cuts to him looking stern but happy. 
That's what this movie is for the most part, except instead of looking stern, she's just constantly falling over and smearing her makeup and things. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where they want to have the same relatability from the first movies, but it feels like they just didn't realize how you would go about doing that because they're like, oh, okay, well, we're taking away basically most of the problems that she had and all of the issues that she faces in this movie are just decisions between two good outcomes she's already comfortably well off and she's the the movie literally opens with her saying well i've reached my ideal weight yeah so there's everyone thinks i'm hot now yeah it's just oh man i barely have any problems and here you go my one problem is now that my decisions are between two awesome things. Well, yeah, at the, at the start of the movie, she doesn't have any men in her life, and that's that's supposed to be the big problem, is that she's 43 and lonely. Um, but then right away, she is forced to choose between an insanely rich lawyer, or sorry, barrister, or an insanely rich internet billionaire. Great. So, yeah, the, the top-level review of this is there is no conflict, it is a garbage movie, and it has nothing driving it. Uh yeah, this is this stripped out the barebone stuff of what made Bridget Jones okay in the first movie, and uh, replaced it with the stuff that made uh, the main characters of Sex in the City horrible in their second movie. There you go. Uh, let's uh, get into a spoilery review, shall we? Yep. So we'll be right back after this with a full spoiler review of Bridget Jones, S Baby. Jones's baby Bridget Jones's baby Bridget Jones's baby is a movie technically that has nothing going on there were eight people in that theater John there were and the other ones were all middle-aged women who were out for a night uh one of them was even using the I've never seen one of these before the movie provided closed caption reader did you yeah. see that woman that was kind of cool to look at that was neat that I was kept looking down going oh hey look yeah, at that that was more engrossing to me than the film by miles <laughs> I was like, oh, cool, I want to get one of those. I want to read stuff while I'm also watching. And so instead, I sat in the back row and read my, my phone most of the way through this film. Exactly. Yeah. So I got through so many levels of bejeweled. <laughs> Man, I played so much of Futurama Game of Drones. Oh, my God, that sounds horrible. Uh, I, I managed to find an old version of Bejeweled on, my, on one of my phones where I don't have to deal with it offering me microtransactions or trying to sell me hamburgers. Yeah. And that's all I want for microgames anymore. I want to pay $2 and then never hear from the game again unless I'd like to play it. Yep. But that's impossible. Cell phones have moved on from that day. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so Bridget Jones has a, as we mentioned earlier, a life that is just sort of fine. Yeah. She... Uh, she's now super hot. She's a news producer. Yeah, she has a job where she makes a bunch of money and has a bunch of, like, connections and knows famous people and... She lives in a two-story, uh, they've they've designed it so it looks modestly frumpy, but it isn't really two-bedroom, or two-bedroom, two-story London flat. Yeah, which, Jesus, that has to be expensive. Yeah. And And Colin Firth, though, straight up lives in a castle. Well, like yeah. The one time you go to his house, he lives in a fucking castle. <laughs> it's just in London. He's like, whatever, that's what barristers live in. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the problem with this is that 
there's nothing to start out with that you're like, oh man, you have an issue. When you first meet her, it's, oh, alone on my birthday again. And then it does a flashback to like a day or two earlier and, oh, what happened before it's, it's the that, lead to this? It's that morning. She she's wakes up in bed because her mom has called her to hassle her about grandchildren. Yeah, but the the problem with this is through that flashback and then we reach the point where we're like, okay, and now we know why she's alone on her birthday. It's not, oh, no one likes me and I have no friends and no one loves me. It's, oh, the other people were busy and I apparently just didn't bother to figure out what they were doing. Yeah, because they're all canceling on her left and right. It, there's a scene of her walking home from work, and there's, she's getting a bunch of text messages from all of her old friends that are moms now. Yeah. Uh, and then she finally goes, well, very good then. If I can't hand, hang out with the women, I shall hang out with the homosexuals. <laughs> Which, that is pretty much the comedy in this. I don't even want to say that this is a romantic comedy, because there's not really a lot of comedy. It mostly comes from, oh my... Did you know that homosexuals exist? Goodness. They treat the one that they introduce, and I have to assume, and this is going to be an ongoing thing for me, they didn't give us the names of almost any of the characters in the film, uh, but you know that they're all characters from the previous two films. You can tell because they're in a scene and they have a bunch of lines and they seem to be important, and you vaguely recognize them in that, oh, I think you've been on QI once kind of way. (laughs) Uh, with British celebrities, but they never, they don't, you don't get told who they are. So she has like this gay friend in a. Uh, oh, she has Julian Bashir. Yes, Julian Bashir as as her gay friend. Except it's like she doesn't say his name or anything, and he's just like, hey, yeah, remember how I was important in a previous movie? In this one, we're adopting and we're going to raise it as a gaby. Anyway, bye, gaby. Get out of here with that. Yeah, no, and that's that is the level of humor you can expect from this. Yeah, if you like to hear words that your kids have said, but you aren't necessarily sure what they mean, but they sure do sound funny, then this is a great place to come to for it. Well, so you I mean, can- you you straight up get like midway through the film a joke of, "Hey, this Indian guy has a hard name to pronounce." Yeah, you also get fuck you. We, oh God, right? Yeah, I I use or something or something like. But but we also get oh darling it's not camping it's glamping and we and, uh, and few, the only that is I will tell you the only joke that made me audibly go ha in the entire movie is when she responds with you can't just put a gl in front of something and make it better it doesn't matter if it's glad off Hitler it doesn't get rid of all the unpleasantness and no, I went ah oh, glad off Hitler that's sort of funny it was vaguely funny but it made me think about a much scarier situation of Glados Hitler. <laughs> Which is the scariest thing I can think of. Yeah. Um, a little robot with a mustache. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a giant robot with a mustache. It sends out little drones with mustaches. <laughs> uh, anyway, so it's just words that your kids have said. There's, uh, I, okay, I, I, there's characters I want to come to organically as we describe the events of the movie, but let's get right into it. Uh, her friends aren't there for her when she needs them there on her 43rd birthday, but it's her fault because she didn't plan anything and because she's terrible. Uh, everyone that she meets keeps telling her that she just needs a hot, good, solid style dicking. Yeah, you just need a good, hot dicking. Yeah, she just needs a good British lie down dicking. She just needs a shafting. Yeah, over and over again. That's what we keep hearing. And so her uh, her friend at the movie or at the news place that she works at, who was the anchor, uh, wants to take her to like some music festival. Yeah, and, and this music festival is—I don't know if this is the way British music festivals even work, where you rent thousand dollar a night yurts to live in and uh there's no one around unless they're supposed like it, th- there's plenty of room there's no lines for drinks or anything uh there appear to be about 50 people there yeah uh man that i i gotta say that music festival looked pretty rad yeah, like, i would mud. stay in a yurt 
Yeah, but you know, I mean, because there was like an internet billionaire in one of them that she hooks up with, that that yurt cost thousands of dollars. Well, like, no, it's fuck? like the Burning Man. It's oh, I get, No, it is not like the Burning Man. It is he like was, the Burning he Man. He was renting that yurt. He didn't pack it into his car and drive it there. You don't know. He may have helicoptered a yurt in. He may have, but then he would just be one of... It would be weird to do so because there are a bunch of identical yurts around it. <laughs> yeah, but she also... Uh, well, you know, spoiler alert, Bridget Jones goes into this billionaire's tent and is like, oh my god, it's so much nicer in here. Everything's way better than ours. Well, no, that she says that, well, granted, he's probably paying more for his yurt. Yes, that's because, what I'm saying. So, the, Patrick Dempsey, everybody. Patrick Dempsey is in this movie as uh, the replacement for uh, Hugh Grant's character who died off screen between the two movies. Which amused me greatly, that they're like... Oh yes, did you hear? Hugh Grant is dead. <laughs> like, well, the okay. opening the opening sequence where you have to meet all of Bridget's annoying friends and first for the first time see what's happened with Colin Firth uh, is that he, they all go to Hugh Dan, uh, Hugh Grant's funeral. Uh, I forget his name. For, I forget what his name is for reals. But I, there's a whole bunch of jokes which I assume you needed to see the other movies to laugh at. For example, apparently he is quite popular with hot Russian women, so there's a lot of them around. Yeah, apparently he is a bit of a womanizer. Yeah. Um, Dies in a plane crash because everyone in this movie apparently just constantly flies everywhere all the time. Like they're all just, oh, he flew, he was flying across Africa, and, and uh, this barrister guy that's that Colin Firth plays was in Jakarta last weekend. It's why oh, yeah, he's constantly like, well, I've got a flight to Khartoum anyway. Good day. What? You're a lawyer. What are you doing? Yeah. What's ha- do you have a secondary job as an archaeologist or an instructor or something? I thought you were a British lawyer. Nah, man. He apparently is an internationally renowned lawyer of great well, yeah, because import. He's, because in this movie he is defending fake Pussy Riot. Yeah, he. I don't even remember what their name. They don't get a name. They're called the Punk Band. Oh and no, stuff. Punani. That's well, it. That's they, the name they, of them. They talk about Punani a great deal, but I don't know that that's guaranteed. Oh yeah, it was it, it was on like a the background screen of a news thing. Yeah. Well, they are a very tame version of Pussy Riot. Yeah. Apparently just obsessed with their own genitals instead of, you know, like, freedom in Russia and stuff. Well, the the whole point is that they're fighting for uh, the freedom of speech. Yeah, but if you ever watch actual Pussy Riot material, like their appearances and their, their music and stuff, it's not them just going, we have tits! Yay! It's, it's more like, no, we're really angry. Yeah. So, uh... Anyway, well, no, that, because this movie is the mom's idea of what a band called Pussy Riot would be. Yes, yeah, and it's been dulled down just a little bit so that Pussy Riot, which which sounds horrifying to a mom, doesn't sound so bad. Which th- everything is so toned down in this. Uh, the 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 puppet discussion. Let's get let's keep going. Let's push. Let's push. Jesus, there's they go. She meets Colin Firth and feels very awkward about him because she he has forgotten her, his uh, she has forgotten his wife's name. Then they meet again at a no. It's the christenings later. Uh, but she's super awkward about it. <laughs> she goes into work and they have a dumb moment where they're talking back and forth over microphones between her and her uh, anchor Miranda. And then it turns out that their company is being taken over by young hipsters. Yeah, which okay, the hipster thing in this was ridiculous atrocious it was one woman who was like i'm in charge and these are my hipster minions like she was straight up a batman villain oh yeah and her cronies all looked exactly the same and i'm like you are the hipster and these are your little cronies and you're gonna send them after the bat and it's unusual because they got the hipster element right for the guys they gave them beards plaid shirts uh, uh man buns man buns uh ironic beer that they were carrying around with them 
But the woman is straight up a chav and not a, not a hipster. She is just like, oh, you look like you're business ready but young. No, she's she's a uh, a very specific British archetype. She's a chav. Her hair's pulled way too tight. She has big bushy eyebrows. Huh. Uh, she's wearing Burberry. She she uh, obviously is wearing like eight pounds of foundation. She's she has the accent and everything. She's a yeah. chav. It's like they just didn't even know. They were like, well, what's what's a hipster woman look like? I don't know. Let's just put this in here. The and that was the thing is this very much feels like. The American idea of what a British comedy would be. Yeah. They tried to be like, oh, what's what's British comedy like? Oh, I guess it's kind of dry and toned down. Well, let's but watch an episode of, being, of Are You Being Served? No, but the problem is, instead of being actual, like, very dry, sarcastic British humor, it was just not humorous. Yeah. Like, they decided to make things as tame as possible. So anyway, it's it's revealed that this chav woman who's going to be running the network or station or whatever now dislikes real news and wants to run entirely Facebook-style pl- uh, fluff pieces. Oh like, well, yeah, this is all BuzzFeed-style yeah. Will your bait. sofa give you cancer? That kind of thing. Yeah, and so she's like, that's what we're going to do with news now. Yeah, except she doesn't. Instead, she just threatens to and doesn't do anything instead. And Bridget immediately tries to get on board because she doesn't want to lose her job. So she's like, yes, I am interested in your dumb ideas. Uh, I will volunteer for things, and says stupid stuff because she's Bridget Jones. Uh, then she gets dragged to the what she thought, thinks is going to be a spa weekend, so she shows up in a sweater and like white pants and stuff. But it turns out it's a straight up music festival, and she falls in mud, and isn't that embarrassing? And then she is picked out of the mud by Dempsey playing Jack Quant. That's right, Quant. Yep, Jack Q- Quant. Q W A N T Quant. Who runs Quantifier or Quantizer or something. Quantify. Quantify, a dating website that is the stupidest looking dating website in the history of fake internet. It is a person who has never been on the internet's idea of what OkCupid would be after being told about it. Yes, it is. that is exactly right. In which the one time you see anyone use it is when Colin Firth goes and tries it out. And he does so by, there's two boards on either side of the of the computer screen and you type a person's real name in and then it pulls them up and then you go to the other side and type a person's real name in and it pulls them up and then a cartoon jack dempsey pops up in the middle and says things like oh no or it's a match and does a little dance yeah and man i i think i would spend more time on internet dating sites if a little cartoon patrick dempsey showed up every time i tried to do anything (laughs) And but they have to type in people's real names. Like Colin Firth is like, oh, I wonder if Bridget Jones is really a match for this Jack Quant fellow. And so he types in Bridget Jones, and then he goes to the other side, Jack Quant, and the pictures like pop up like like a TV CSI mugshot camera machine. And this is like ninety seven percent match, 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 but only on paper though, because that's the lesson of this movie. Yeah, uh, which again is. All the whole the whole thing is just mom lessons and ideas. Yeah, the, literally the 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 through line of this movie boils down to one line where Bridget says, "Well, yeah, we make a great match on paper to Jack Dempsey," uh, and, and then she she says, "Jack Dempsey isn't that someone else? Who am I thinking of?" No, it's Patrick Dempsey. Patrick His Dempsey. name is Jack in the Jack movie. Jack Quan. Thank you. So she says to Patrick Dempsey, "Sometimes love is just someone that you're very familiar with, and they feel like home." Even if they hit you, I guess. I mean, it was, what a what a boring message. I mean, that's such mom porn message right there to be like. Sometimes love is staying in a dumb situation. Well, yeah, especially when you look at these two and you're like, okay, so Patrick Dempsey is playing Jack, and he is 
a billionaire that also happens to be very down to earth. He cares a lot about you. Loves children. He's super like romantic. outgoing and romantic, and he's very personable. He's got a great personality. He's funny. He gets along with you perfectly. And then Colin Firth, who is playing, I shit you not, Mr. Darcy. Yeah, no, well, you don't have to shit them, because that's that's been the case in the three Bridget Jones movies. Oh, I know. But for everyone listening to this who does not know about that, which is probably everyone, yeah. Colin Firth's character is Mr. Darcy, and he is just as stupid horrible british stereotype as you can be he's basically uh the the he's he's god damn it who's the monty python guy from uh a fish called wanda why john cleese he's basically john cleese's barrister character if he stayed the way he was on the first five minutes of the film for the entire film <laughs> he is just I, I can't understand what's going on with this character and why Bridget Jones specifically would be into him. Well, when they show the flashbacks, you can see young Colin Firth briefly, and you're like, oh, yeah, look at that. That dude's hot. I can, look I can, at that young Colin I Firth ass. But at this point, it's been too long, and Colin Firth looks almost exactly like the actor playing Bridget Jones's dad, Jim Broadbent. <laughs> uh, Every time she's like, oh, he's hot when he's wearing his barrister outfit, and he's got those roomy yellow eyes, and, and he's got port-stained cauliflower nose. Ooh. Yeah, and I mean... You know, Colin Firth, not a bad-looking guy. No. But still, he is completely uptight. He doesn't really do anything. He doesn't seem to like Bridget Jones's antics. Yeah, he's like, uh, I, I put up with the fact that you are weird, and I don't know why. Like, it's it's one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, they're in a relationship, and it's, it's opposites attract. I'm like, no, neither of them like each other. They just happen to want to bone for some reason. Yeah. Anyway, uh, she meets Patrick Dempsey at a music festival. They both, he, he or she and her friend get super drunk. They run into a singing celebrity of some sort who... Uh, John and I were like, there's a whole scene where they like... <laughs> they th- go into this like backstage area. And, and again, like, uh, just privilege on display as they just randomly go into the backstage part of a, uh, of a bar. Oh, yeah, like, well, I mean, you have a an actual celebrity sort of locally in this anchor. That is true. And there are like 10 people back there. Yeah, and, and so... Someone, someone built a full bar with a wooden desk in the middle of a field for like 10 people. And they go back there and like, oh, we should get a picture to uh, commemorate the fact that we're backstage at this festival... Hey, you, can you take our picture? And he goes to take, essentially, like, a selfie with them. I'm like, what are you doing? God, uh. If it's so complicated for you, we'll find someone else to do it. Yeah. And it, then it turns out that, and of course, the audience is supposed to be like, oh, they don't know who he is. That's hilarious. And we didn't know who the fuck he was. We're like, oh, uh, who is that guy? Is well, that supposed to be a guy? Yeah, it turns out it's Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Uh, singer of some songs. Singer of a couple of songs that are in this movie directly after that scene. And you're supposed to be like, I find this guy bemusing and interesting, and he seems all right, even though they've already set up that guys that look like him are bad guys in this movie. Because uh, he's got a hipster face, and he's dressed like a hipster, and he sings hipster music. Yes. But whatever, he's a good one because he's famous. But it doesn't matter because he sings light contemporary rock, so... That's fine for moms. Yeah, I guess Train has has aged out of being okay for mom movies at this point. Yeah. So anyway, at some point he hooks up with Miranda in a giant ball. And uh, meanwhile, Bridget goes back to uh, stumble accidentally, of course, because this movie is nothing but contravance and stupid, into uh, Patrick Dempsey's tent, at which point they have sex. 
Yep, they sure do. And then when she wakes up, he's gone, and so she gets mad at herself for letting that happen, and uh, still not knowing who he is or anything about what happened, she stumbles out of the tent, and then it, he pops up like a, se- a second later with pastries and shit, which, where is he getting this? What the fuck music festival is this? It's oh like- yeah, he showed up, and it was like, oh, here's a platter with like croissants that are freshly baked and little danishes and fresh coffee, and you're like, the fuck did you get this from it's, it's like they're having this music festival in the middle of a regular mer- urban mall <laughs> except that there's mud pits everywhere yeah i i don't understand what's going on the music festival is nonsense uh anyway it, it turns out later in the film that he's an internet billionaire but uh for now she has to rush off even though she's just had sex with him to a christening and so to get to the christening she gets in a car with yet another character that i assume was important in a previous bridget jones movie well her only other friends aside from miranda the news anchor Mm -hmm. uh are a couple people that have kids and so these are the people that had canceled on her earlier yeah and there there've got to be people from the previous films yeah definitely people from earlier films but also the the issue with them is mostly that the comedy of them is, oh boy, they're still dirty, but in front of their kids. Yeah, and this and that I, joke is going to happen like fifty times. And I really, really want to talk about the first time it happens, which is right here, where Bridget wants to t- tells tells her friend that she just hooked up with a guy at a music festival, and we're getting the one side of a conversation just from her friend's point of view at this point. Yes, and uh, and so her kids are in the back seat, and so she doesn't want to describe it, especially graphically. So she asks her she, her friend asks Bridget, "Oh, did you go to a puppet show?" And then, well, how big was his puppet? Did he put his puppet in your mouth? Okay, I, I get it, I get it. Puppet is penis, fine, whatever. But how awkward and dumbass of a conversation would that have been if it had not been puppet as a euphemism? Who goes that hangs out with their forty year old friend and is like, "Hey, you had sex last night? Did he put his?" penis in your mouth yeah what fuck conversation is that look women if you're if you're listeners and you're women please tell me i know you guys discuss penis size i know you were exactly as raunchy as we are are you that dumb do you have conversations where like oh you had sex did you have any foreplay i hear that's unusual even after you've just said you had sex for six hours (laughs) did he touch your boobs what is happening that's like a conversation a seven-year-old would have about what two barbies should do uh yeah no the the conversations she has with all of her uh like parent friends are the worst because they all either are trying to do that like oh it was puppet show lasted for six hours and and oh big puppets it's a good sized puppet and then the other half is her friend that's just like straight up swearing in front of her kid it's like well, like her kid's standing right next to her. She goes, well, where the fuck are you then? Yeah, yeah. She has the other friend. Those are like the, the ones, they're like DJs or something, and they're the ones who are having a, a christening at their house or, some, or, or something. I don't know. I couldn't put together whose house we were at or why. Um, but it was also basically a castle somewhere. Yes. I know it was a christening because it was an excuse to put a pair of fake fairy wings on uh, Bridget. Yeah. Because so, she was the fairy godmother at this christening. Yep. And that's when they start dancing to Gangnam Style. Yeah, and it turns out, oh my goodness, what a coincidence. 
Colin Firth is the godfather of the baby. Yeah, so they have to stand near each other. Also, when Bridget tries to get him to dance to Gangnam Style, he explains awkwardly that Gangnam is a neighborhood in Korea. He's like, oh, I have only been there once. I've only been to the the suburb of Gangnam in, in, in Seoul. It means south of the river. And you're like, fucking god damn it. You know better, dude. You are so wealthy and so professional. Just you would know better. Like, be- and this the problem is this conversation happens literally right as that song ends. I'm like Colin Firth, you have just listened to a four minute long so- song called Gangnam Style, and then when she goes, "Oh yeah, I was dancing Gangnam Style," you immediately go, oh, "I don't know anything. I know that's a place in Korea," and you're like, "Oh, good lord, man, get your shit together." Oh, my God. So, anyway, the two of them hook up at the christening. Yeah, they're like, oh, my goodness. My I'm actually is- going to be divorced. And that that wife I have that you don't like, she's not in the picture anymore because this movie is all about your wish fulfillment. Right. So the two of them hook up. And, again, we have to hear right afterwards in her having a conversation with one of her friends that the penis size of the men that she hook up, hooks up with is perfectly adequate, if not somewhat above average. Hooray. We get that every time. Well, how big was Patrick Dempsey's penis? Very nicely sized, and perhaps a little more than nicely sized, if you understand where I'm going. And what about Colin Firth? Ooh, he wanted to have sex twice. It was quite interesting. Oh, very entertaining, yes. And again, it it all boils down to sex scenes that are basically soft focus, pull away from the camera type stuff, and descriptions of it that are like what you would describe as doing with sex if if you hadn't been having, if you weren't sexually active. You're like, we had sex for like six hours, bro. It was amazing, bro. We had sex for like six hours. And your friend, who has sex regularly and knows you're lying, is like, that sounds awful. Yeah. Anyone who's like, dude, we had sex for six hours, I'm like, ow, why? Why were you, what, what do you fucking sting? <laughs> you have to have a lot of fucking patience for that. Also, are you just counting time in between? I know. I could have sex multiple times over the course of six hours, but actually rolling around in a bed for six hours? No. Pass. Yeah, that's okay. That is a quarter of the goddamn day. You are wasting day. <laughs> You get in uh, bed at, like, 8 p.m., and you're still fucking at 2 in the morning? That's on you. That's your fault. Yeah. At that point, you got to look at the clock and go, baby, we are burning daylight. <laughs> we could be doing something productive. We could be sleeping. You know, <laughs> if we sleep, we'd have better sex. But right, no. Right now, we're just pushing rope at each other. <laughs> Literally, because that's my fetish. That's my thing. So, <laughs> anyway, bad descriptions of sex had badly by bad people. And so, after this happens... My goodness, wouldn't you know it? Oh my, she starts to not be able to fit into some clothes she had been wearing. Some skinny jeans, just so that they can say the words skinny jeans. Yep. Again, just things that you're like, oh, I've heard the the kids say this. My telephone has the FaceTime. Ugh. And so her friend is like, oh, well, you're not pregnant, are you? And then they just have a pregnancy test and it comes up pregnant. Okay, great. You're going to have a baby. Yeah, and it turns out it's because she's been using the same box of 20-year-old dolphin-safe condoms. Yeah. Which I thought that was an okay joke. The biodegradable dolphin-safe condoms that she pulls out of a box. I I, I found that was fairly amusing. Good job. Um, and with her immediately going, expire-by dates don't mean anything. Those are useless. Also, chemtrails are real. <laughs> <laughs> I have pharma. stacks and stacks of organite. <laughs> so, in order to try and find out who the father is... She uses her pull on the TV show to get 
Patrick Dempsey's Jack Quant as a guest on the show. Right, because he's a super famous website designer. Uh, a designer. I guess like the closest real world analog would be uh, that eHarmony guy. Yeah, it would basically be like if you had that eHarmony guy show up. But the weird thing is the like chav woman who's trying to make news sexy is like, oh, good, I like this man. This is a good pick. And well, yeah, because like, he's because he's a sexy billionaire. He's a sexy single billionaire, which is exactly what they want. And he runs a dating site, which is always has a little hell, element of sexiness to it. It makes perfect sense. The problem is that the moment she sees him start talking, she's like, "Nope, nope, cats who look like Hitler. Let's go, let's go, let's go." Oh yeah, it's like, oh, this guy who is famous for having an algorithm for love just started saying algorithm. Nope, let's get rid of that. I'm like, how fucking stupid are you? Also, it was amusing to me that Miranda literally could not stop herself from hitting on him. <laughs> Even though he was there for a very specific reason, and she is Bridget's best friend, she was immediately like, ooh, hey, let's get dinner later. I'm going to bone you. Huh. And uh, we also have this set up earlier in the movie. Apparently, Miranda will say literally anything that Bridget says into the mic. Like, she is the Ron Burgundy off of a teleprompter of this news station. Yeah, it's like, it's like uh, we just like Ron Burgundy did, it's like they exist in a universe where Bruce Almighty was never made. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like how in zombie movies, they always exist in a world where no one's ever heard the word zombie. Yeah. And so they all have to call them, like, walkers and gray eaters and gravel, pu gravel pumps and stuff. Oh, gravel pumps. They can't just call them zombies. <laughs> That's going into my next zombie film. <laughs> gravel pumps. Gravel pumps. <laughs> Attack of the gravel pumps. <laughs> Check out my gravel pumps. <laughs> <laughs> what you gonna do with all that gravel? All that gravel inside that pump. <laughs> I'm gonna make, 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 make you jump. <laughs> uh, anyway... In this movie, they do they, they do the exact same thing, where apparently um, news anchors don't think for themselves and are just mouthpieces who say whatever producers say. Yeah, so Bridget Jones makes her ask all of these ridiculously stupid questions mm -hmm. and has the like makeup artist lady get some of his hair clipping, clippings and fingernail clippings. Yeah, by the, both of which, by the way, don't really have a lot of DNA in them. Clipped hair has no DNA in it. You need the follicle. And... Uh, and fingernail is just keratin no dna so they got nothing they, they needed to get him to pee in a cup or not even pee they needed to get him to sperm up a cup for them yeah could you sperm this cup up for me look it's for the makeup department if you wouldn't mind if, if you're you looking wouldn't. a little flushed you need to drain out some of that male essence here just jerk off into my open hand thank you <laughs> there we, there we uh, go well i mean that seems normal that happened last time i was ever in a makeup chair this, that happens every time I, I, I get interviewed is for some reason some woman who just autoclaved her hand so it's nice and sterile comes out and makes me jerk off into it i thought it was a fetish thing you say it's for makeup okay oh i right. would have done it just for, for a free hand job <laughs> but you know here you go <laughs> uh anyway it he gets he, he gets wise to what's happening and she gets caught yeah and then she tells him oh i'm pregnant and he's like oh my goodness well i'll have to think about that anyway goodbye good day madam and uh, oh, by the way, this is this is episode one of proof that Bridget Jones is fully incompetent at her job. Yes, let's 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 count. Well, we already those. had the first one where there is the initial uh, interview where we learned that Miranda will say anything. In oh that yeah, she Bridget Jones takes a phone call, and so she's talking about like the uh seeing the fu the funeral and seeing the uh Colin Firth right character. which makes which makes Miranda sound as if she's very sympathetic towards a recently deceased dictator yes cuz she's uh well, I, interviewing I, well, some guy and there's this horrible dictator who is dead and 
So she's on the phone saying things like, oh, well, at least he was never boring, and I can't. it's hard to believe he's gone. He'll certainly be missed, that sort of thing. And then the, the, uh, the person she's in the room was like, no, he was quite horrible. We're, we're not going to miss him at all. No, he's, he's got multiple counts of genocidal acts. Yeah. Anyway, so let's just, let's just keep a running count of those, of times where Bridget Jones is visibly, obviously incompetent due to not only her own stupidness, but also her willfulness to engage in irresponsible non-work acts. Yes. We good? Just keeping track. That's two. There we go. All right. Uh, now we get to, she has to go tell Colin Firth, and so she goes and tells him, and he briefly excuses himself, then pops back in and is perfect about it. He's like, that's the best news I've ever heard, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh my, which, I believe that this is the greatest thing ever. And, and I which, am so happy. Let's make it very clear that she doesn't tell either of them about the other one. Yes. Because that's got to be the comedy of the film. Yeah, and Colin Firth is just straight up droopy dog about this. He's just like, I'm so happy. Yeah, so both of them are just wonderful about it. And so she ends, we get a montage set to one of the 50 goddamn songs in this movie where she starts going to the doctor and getting ultrasounds and she brings one husband and then she brings the other, or, or I'm sorry, suitor, and then she brings the other suitor and the doctor is being forced into pretending like she doesn't know what's going on and she hates yeah. it. She has to pretend it's the first time every time she does one of these because they're doing the tests twice every time for right, both and, of them. And uh, Bridget manages to come up with their DNA uh, so by, through trickery, but then she realizes that it's a big needle that they, they need to do to get some oh, yeah. antibiotic well, it's, fluid. It's right after they get the hair clippings and the yeah. and the nails. She's like, oh, no, I don't want you to stab my baby with that needle. Get out of here. That's a big needle. Get away also, from me. Also, no vaccinations. <laughs> no vaccinate Herd immunity. Yeah. <laughs> Big Pharma. Yeah, so this goes on until eventually they discover that this is happening. and uh, They discover it at the stupidest restaurant in the world called, I, I think it's real, the tiniest Italian restaurant in London or something. And the, <laughs> the way this happens is, of course, Bridget Jones in our next uh, incompetent at her job gives a presentation for a new thing that they're going to do with the news. Oh yeah, it's live news where anyone can call in and be on the on the air with the, with the anchor. Yeah, it's basically like, hey, you can use your phone and send video of anything that's going on. And then, of course, the one thing they go to is five guys mooning them. Yes, and then it gets broken, and Bridget Jones has to stand there in front of a large pre- presentation screen full of old men's butts. And then all of a sudden, the loading uh, wheel appears and spirals over one man's butthole. Oh, and, goodness gracious. And then she manages to crash her computer, and there's there's extremely fake hackery crash dialogue on the screen behind her on a bright purple background. Yeah. And, uh, and then she starts telling off-color jokes and wanders off because two men have encountered her. And her boss corners her to try and yell at her about what just happened, and she just walks away from her boss because there are men nearby. Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, there are these two guys that I might be the father of my baby bye goodbye i don't wish to talk to you so there you go there's three yeah well technically four because she messed up her presentation and then she just blew off her boss who was trying to talk to her about it yes so there's four sure four times where she has been visibly obviously incompetent in her job deserving to be written up or fired or something yep okay we're just clear just keep it in mind now this is where the oh my god an indian person has a long name and I can't say it joke happens. Yeah, because she's trying to trick uh, Colin Firth into... uh, She's like, oh, have you met this person anyway? I've got to go talk to someone else. I think you should meet my friend here. You guys would get along very well. His name is Ayurvira... The thing that pissed me off the most about this, 
is that the one good character trait they've established for Bridget Jones at this point in the movie is her capacity for understanding language and rapidly picking up names. Yes. Because the one thing that she's done so far in this movie that isn't fucking stupid is uh, pro- properly pronounce the name of that African dictator. Yeah. Which has one of those glottal stop clicks in it, which I can't do, but his name is like Ndocho or something with a click between the in and the docho. Yeah. So uh, so she's like, yeah, I can do that. That's easy. Dojo. And, and then the first time she sees an Indian name, which Indian people are quite common in the UK, she's like, uh, I, 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 you, have you met Brownie here? And then she just, she just runs off. And it's, again, the very like middle-aged, have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too sort of white liberal thing of... We also have her mother who is running for like government of like 40 people. Oh, yeah, some per- parish thing, yeah. And so her mom is like, oh, we're all family values and su- super conservative. And so she gets to tell her mom off of like, you know, there are single mothers and there are gay people and all of them should be included and we should be super open and liberal. But then also throughout the film, it has a bunch of like, haha, Indian people have weird names and oh, this Italian guy, he... He'll have a stupid, ridiculously fake Italian accent, and he'll want to stop to deliver things instead of helping me get to the hospital. Yeah, or the, the fact that she treats gay people as accessories so that she can go partying. Exactly. The whole movie is that sort of, I think that everyone should get along. I'm very liberal. I'm a cool mom. And then when it actually comes down to it, you're like, oh, no, but you're still terrible. Yes. So, anyway, she... uh takes the two of them out to the tiny Italian restaurant and tells them that she is pregnant and she's not sure which one of them is the father. And Jack is like, well, you know, what's important now is the baby and, you know, whatever happens, that's fine. We'll deal with it. And Colin Firth is like, I have to go. I have an appointment. And just leaves. Yeah, he gets up and says, I'm sorry. I have a meeting. And wanders off. Which, again, it's like one in the morning, maybe. This is an obvious, bold-faced lie. And this is not the... First or last time we have seen this character just be awful to Bridget and around Bridget. He's retreating, is what it is. He's immediately retreating. And granted, you know, it's 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 not an awkward situation, but it turns out that the two of them get along. Uh, by the two of them, I mean uh, Patrick Dempsey and Colin Firth's characters get along fairly well when it comes to helping Bridget get, raise yeah, the baby. Again, this movie has no tension. Yeah. Like, okay, so... You'd normally think, oh my goodness, she has to choose between these people. Okay, well, it's a billionaire and a not-quite-billionaire-but-still-rich barrister guy. So, two awesome people. They're both good-looking, they have great jobs, they both love you very much. Okay, well, maybe the tension is between the two characters. Nope, Jack is fine just hanging out with Mr. Darcy, and Mr. Darcy is uncomfortable but not in a way that's bad and he'd be uncomfortable in literally any situation he is a human uh, spout of uncomfortableness yeah he is just so british yeah he's just just an awkward statue of of pure british and so the two of them of course go through like a bunch of lamaze classes and every other stupid thing you ever see about a and again the joke of like oh you have two guys here with you oh that must be a gay couple and you're gonna be their surrogate and instead of going, no, Jack Dempsey's like, yes, this is my lover. I love Colin Firth. You're falling for it, too, now. You're calling him Jack Dempsey, who I believe is an early Hollywood filmmaker. Probably? I think that's right. Uh, but, yeah, it, Jack Quant is like, yes, of course, he's my little buttercup, and blah, blah, blah. And no, no, and stop like, doing that. There are literally, uh, there's a lesbian couple in the room. Yeah, again, could, could, the joke is, ha-ha, gay people. Yeah. They're not, not 
anything funny, just uh, gay people exist. Yeah. Great. I mean, honestly, uh, when we get to the end, I'm going to I'm going to propose my alternate ending for this movie where they are just gay, yeah. and it makes the movie fifty times better, right? Um, I mean, literally, not just in my own gay bisexual head. I mean, literally, this movie would have a better ending if the two of them turned out to be into each other. Yes. Um, now, the the rest of this movie uh, is pretty much just them going back and forth, and then finally. Uh, Mr. Darcy is like, oh, I think maybe she should just be with you because I'm super uncomfortable about everything because I'm so British. Also because uh, Dempsey's gotten her to believe that uh, he didn't wear a condom, or or gotten Mr. Darcy to believe that he didn't wear a condom at all, that he got got to do her bareback. Yeah. And therefore, it's way more likely that he's the father anyway. This isn't true, as it turns out. He just really wants to be the father more, as long as it's actually his kid. Because in order to get the movie to have an ending of any kind, one of these two guys needs to turn out to not be right. So it has to be a, there has to be a moment where he's talking to her, and she goes, well, what if it's not your child? And he goes, well, that would change everything. Even then, he's just like, well, that would change things. But he isn't like, and then fuck you, I would leave. He's just like, well, that would make things different. That's supposed to be the implication, because of course then they present Darcy's take on it, which is, if the baby isn't mine, then I'll love the baby anyway, because I love you. Yeah. And we get this full turnaround at the end, where Mr. Darcy spends the entire movie, up until the end of it, being like, "Uh, I have no emotions, I don't really seem to care about anything, I do appear to go through the motions of wanting to give you some sort of care, but I can't really do anything about it. And then at the very end, he's like, I love you, baby. Yeah, he has a just... Both of them experience dramatic character turns at the end that are not especially earned. No. Quant, Quant suddenly sur- briefly turns into a bad guy, very briefly, because then he shows up at the hospital scene to be a good guy again. Yep. And Darcy, meanwhile, suddenly turns into Superman for a couple of seconds, only to immediately treat, retreat back into being a little British uh, nib of a person. Um... There's a sequence near the very end where Bridget's going to have the baby. She's all sad because she's managed to alienate both of the men through stupid contravance. Uh, she goes to, and she's, oh, 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 God, I don't want to forget this. Uh, near the end of the film, she's managed to alienate the two men through dumb contravance. Then it's her job to ensure that the anchor properly interviews an Asian uh, general. Mil- general. She goes into the hallway, grabs the first Asian man she can find, uh, who admittedly is dressed up in a uniform, yes, and then drags him on sc- stage and sticks him in a chair and has uh, the 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 uh, anchor interview this man. He won't say anything though because he turns out to be the general's chauffeur and not the general. Now, as to why the general's chauffeur would park the car with the general still in it and then go awkwardly in the bu- into the building for no reason, that is just because. Don't worry about it. It's a movie. Yep. I mean, his job is literally to drop this guy off at the entrance, not to get out of the car and go in. And. Just so you don't think that the reason is, oh, well, he just went along because he doesn't realize what's going on. He does speak and understand English. And so when they were like, hey, are you the general? He didn't just go, uh, no, I- I'm his driver. He went, yeah, sure, and just went along with it. Yeah. So anyway, Bridget stupidly assumes that the first Asian man she sees is definitely this general, tosses him into a seat, and has him interviewed on screen until the chav boss brings in the actual general from behind her. We now cut to a scene where Bridget Jones is going to get fired because, as we have noted, she has failed miserably. Literally every time we see her at work. Yes. She is a terrible employee. She is no good. She deserves to be fired because she is so caught up in her own dumb life that she does nothing good at the the job. And the great thing is, 
the boss lady brings up every single one of those. Yeah, she just goes, well, why am I being fired? You can't fire a pregnant woman just for being pregnant. I'm not firing you for being pregnant. I'm firing you for gross incompetence. Here is a list of things you have done that are grossly incompetent. Now we get to the unearned speech of the fucking millennium, at which... Bridget stands up and dramatically says, well, at least I'm not a hipster, and in my life, things that are with integrity are relevant, and I hope I raise my son to have integrity, be a good person, and not drink from jam jars or have a stupid beard, and, and all you hipsters are disaffected nihilists and don't care about anything, and I don't need this job if it's going to be soft journalism. And of course, because it's a movie, the boss is gobsmacked and just stands there and watches her leave, instead of going... Yes, that's all well and good. You're not being fired because I'm a hipster. You're being fired because you're terrible. Yeah. And, God, and again, it's one of those mom porn things of, I hate these kids these days. They don't understand the way things should be. And, no, oh, I'll, I'll raise my kids to not be like that. I, I really wanted the boss, and it would have been funnier in the movie, to have the boss prick her with a pen at the end of that, to just go, yes, that's well and good. I'm a terrible hipster. You're right. Also, you showed a bunch of live asses on national television. <laughs> you're fired. Yeah, yeah, you're you're incredibly terrible at this job. You're deeply incompetent. The fact that I'm a hipster and I like beard guys doesn't stop the fact that you're grossly incompetent. Yeah. You deserve what's happening to you right now. Go ahead and rail at me. Do it from outside the building, though. Security. <laughs> That's all I want. And it would have been fine. It wouldn't have even messed up the flow of the movie to have the boss be like, nope, you're terrible. Yeah, but Bridget Jones never gets a comeuppance in any way that isn't, a mild pratfall. Or something to set up her being rescued by a, more, by a superior man. Yeah, because everything then, is like, oh, I I fell down, or, oh, I dropped a thing. Oh, well, I lost my purse. Luckily, big rich men are here to save me. Yep. So the next scene is her stumbling around, buying a bunch of shit at Sainsbury's, which I believe is the Whole Foods of Britain. <laughs> uh, then she goes into an ATM and forgets her pin on three tries. And then it eats her card, and that's it. And then she gets locked out of the little room with where she left her Sainsbury's bag and her purse. So she doesn't have the keys to her house. She's very pregnant. She's cold. It's raining. It's Britain, and she can't figure out how to get into her own home. Now, this is the worst thing ever, because she tries to get into her house after walking there in the rain. Mm-hmm. Okay, doesn't have her keys to get in. Hits a bunch of buttons. No one lets her in. All right. Her solution to this is to just sit in an alleyway? Yeah, and fall asleep. And her solution to that is that Mr. Darcy, who lives in London, is a rich barrister, owns a car, lives in a castle, has decided to walk to her house like a 12-year-old. And now, you might go, oh, well, you know, maybe it's late, there's nothing open, she doesn't have a phone, and she's just tired. Okay, okay, sure, But instead Fine. she just gives up. She's like, well, no keys, I don't even own a house anymore, I'm a street person now. <laughs> That's what I do now. Yeah. Time to pick your pockets, eh? <laughs> I'm going to go down and live in the tube. <laughs> so fucking uh, Mr. Darcy shows up, and they're like, oh, we need to get you to the hospital because well, she they break into the house. Yeah, first of all, she's like she's having this monologue about how men in the world are terrible now. She's talking to her baby in her stomach. Yeah. And then she's like, there's no, more, no such thing as knights in shining armor anymore. Or, or are there? Oh, my. And then, of course. It's just. It's just Colin Firth walking along, and his response is to just punch out one of her windows, which, you know, pregnancy doesn't make your arms weak. Do that shit yourself. God, woman. <laughs> no, and again, I mean, Liberate. I, can, I can understand not punching your way into a building. I probably wouldn't do that. It's not like he brought house punching gear with him. He just wraps it up in a, his hand up in a scarf. Yeah, no, I understand this, but 
what gets me is they get up to the apartment, whatever, and then her water breaks. Now they need to get to the hospital. Oh yeah. He doesn't have his car. And they he throws his phone out a window earlier because No, it's thro- it's it's after her water breaks. It's the stupidest yeah. sequence in the universe. That he's hugging her and saying, I love you, I'm sorry. Actually you saw me with my wife a couple of days ago, but she was just there to pick up her stuff. We're actually getting divorced, I promise, for reals. And one of the things throughout this movie has been whenever his phone rings, it's like, Oh, that might be work, you should get it. Yes. And she says it again and then he throws his phone out the window. After her water has broken, and the phone is apparently apparently she doesn't have landline or know anyone with a landline. No. Um which is, you know, I don't have a landline, but then again, I'm not 43 and ultra-conservative, as she appears to be. Now, the solution they come up with is, oh, well, they're going to get a ride in the delivery vehicle of the Italian restaurant that she lives right next door to, which then begs the question, why didn't she go over there when it was raining and she was locked out anyway and be like, either A, can I use your phone, or B, you've seen me here all the time. I live next door, and I'm nine months pregnant. Can I sit in your restaurant? I have to assume that that Italian guy is like literally a character. From, he's another one who's a character from previous movies. This shit's happened at that tiny Italian restaurant, and it's part of the regular charm and gags of the other Bridget Jones movies. But, again, this, this restaurant was apparently open, and she did not walk across the street to it. No, she didn't bother to go sit in a building. No, or ask to use a phone or anything. Well, that's they, they also didn't ask to use his phone when her water broke. They could have been like, oh, hey, why don't we just pop across the street to the uh, Italian restaurant, see if we can use their phone, ring up the hospital, call an ambulance, what, what? Bob's well, your uncle. We'll have you delivered in a lorry, yes, we will. Instead, what they do is they, they get in his comically stupid powered wheelbarrow tiny car. Yeah, this like three-wheeled stupid delivery car, uh, and... Again, instead of going, oh, let's call a cab because this is London and it is like 50% cabs. Yeah, it's all cabs and subway stations. But let's just forget both of those things exist. No, and then, oh my goodness, fucking Punani is having a march. And they can't get through. Yeah, and so uh, their their reaction to that is that Colin Firth is going to pick her up and carry her. And we get the Joe Cocker song, of course, for any time a man... lives us up where we yeah, because anytime a man picks up a woman in a movie, that's you have to do you that have to now. Do it. Yeah, it's the officer and a gentleman law. It was passed in like 1993. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, first tested and sued against, uh, using it as precedent in the case of bodyguard versus the people. <laughs> uh, and, and since then, you have to play that same Joe Cocker song anytime a man picks up a woman. So he just picks her up and plans to carry her the five or so miles to the hospital from wherever the hell they are. Now, and, and again, not hail a cab though. No, I was going to say. Now this march is going down. A street. Okay, you get to the other side of the street. Hell, maybe it's a big one. It takes up two blocks. Okay, you go two blocks and then hail a goddamn cab. But no, he's going to walk with her to the hospital. Or almost would, except it's she's too heavy and it's very tiring for him. Until Jack shows up. I, I don't know how he's tracking them. On a motorcycle. He's got a motorcycle. And he offers to help carry her. And I, I don't know how he found them, because it's not like they have GPS devices or anything. They've both thrown their cell phones away <laughs> like I mean, I goddamn underst- idiots. I understand that he is a billionaire, but he straight up just leaves a motorcycle and walks away. Yeah, just, it, it just I don't need this motorcycle. Screw this thing. Anyway, bye. Goodbye. And, and helps carry her to the hospital, and then there's comical, dumb, uh, over-anxious uh, dad shenanigans at the hospital that you've seen a thousand times. Yep. Uh, and then she gets real mad, and just like in every other movie... Uh, where a woman gives birth in in a movie yells at everyone, and yells at everyone. People and... uh, has arrived too late to receive an epidural. Yep, uh, and so she punches people and bites people and blah blah blah, and then she gives birth to a three month old baby boy. <laughs> uh, yep, 
uh, as you do in a film. Yep. And so then we get the final thing where they're like, oh, and now let's find out who the dad is. Cut to one year later. Uh, and here's, let me give you, let, let me tell you the way this ending should have been before we tell you how it is. In the, the good ending of this movie that does not exist, she, we cut to one year later. You see the church doors from the view of the the, uh, the altar. You're looking down the aisle towards the door. The door opens, and a hurried, uh, kind of haggard, uh, kind of flighty-looking Bridget Jones spills in. She is wearing a white dress. She is greeted by her, by her anxious-looking father, who, who uh, takes her by the arm. They walk slowly towards the altar. However, they are diverted, and about 30 feet down the steps, they turn and sit in one of the pews. We then spin the camera to look at the altar, and at the altar sort of peeved at her late arrival are Jack and Mr. Darcy who are getting married. Yes. They have found love for each other throughout the course of this entire ordeal and Bridget Jones, the punching bag of Europe, ends the movie without finding love. Yeah, she has her baby and that's it. She has her baby. It's her baby so she gets something but she doesn't get a cool dream wedding. These two rich guys do instead Yeah, because she brought them together. But no, no, what happens instead is she chooses Mr. Darcy to marry, and... We never find out who the kid's dad is. And Jack basically just hangs out, like... Well, he, he likes the kid. Well, yeah. I mean, we essentially get... Uh, Darcy says, oh, can you please hand me my child? And so you're like, okay, I guess it was his kid all along. All right, well, Jack, you're just hanging out then. Aren't you a... Well, An American he calls with a him, company he, to run? See, my thing is he calls him my son, but I'm still not 100% sure that he's actually the father. I think it. Do, I think the movie wanted that ambiguous and did not give you the answer. Eh. They wanted to be like, it doesn't matter who the father is. They both love the son so much. Great. That's. I think that's supposed to be the answer at the end of the film. And it's the world's most perfect wedding, of course. It's in some fucking Coventry garden that's the size of a you know a tw- 20 football fields, and there's a giant pavilion tent, and everything is perfect, and her veil blows away as an Ellie Goulding song plays. And, and she's then like, she just walks down towards the pavilion, and that's it. That's it. She gets a happy super ending. There you go. This was a lot like watching American Pie 3 if you had never watched the first two. Because there's a million characters and you don't know who they are and you don't know why they all get like one line and they're all like that doesn't look like they should be an actor. It's because they're not because Chris Klein didn't keep acting after these movies huh. and uh, but we we keep hauling him back for these even though he looks like he owns a car dealership because he does. <laughs> uh, so so let's let's get into the the bests and worsts. Best thing in this movie for you? Give me give me your highlight. Oh God, uh, I man, come on, give me something. Hmm. Grab gonna, a hold with th- both hands. All right, I'm going to say my highlight is the people in the parish where her mom is running for some kind of political office, mm-hmm. which is a subplot that we didn't even touch on because it fucking sucks and is boring. Uh, but there's a subplot where her mom, because she gets told off by Bridget, becomes more liberal and accepting of the gays and so on. She has a sign that says, like, now we now love the, the homosexuals, bisexuals. Minorities and the, and ma- the Italians. The, the majority of Italians is what it says, yeah. which I thought was, was, I thought it was a funny sign. But there's also a sequence where she's like, two of our parishioners are even homosexuals. Who knew? And a random woman walks by behind her and goes, everyone knew. And I was like, that's funny. That's cute. All right. So that's going to be my favorite thing. Your favorite thing in this movie? You already said it. So. Yeah, it's Gladoff Hitler. Yeah, it's gl- the only joke that made me laugh. Yeah. I, Everything I, else in this, I either went, huh, okay, that was a joke. I, I recognize the, this. I think the only joke that actually made me say ha at any point was uh, where they're standing. It's right after the Gongdom style discussion, which, uh, granted, set me up for failure. 
because I would have laughed at anything after that <laughs> opposite of a black hole super death of jokes was he goes he despairing at his inability to talk about a song he goes would you like to get some air and he looks around and realizes he's standing on a patio and goes oh some more air and and I was like ha ah, it's okay that's <laughs> fine <laughs> all right you realize that that was a dumb thing to say I get it good job there you are there you go so <laughs> two just real lame jokes that nonetheless at least were jokes uh-huh. and worst thing in the movie uh the tell-off scene the scene where she tells the hipster off for being a hipster yeah the chav off for being a hipster actually he tells off a chav for being a hipster and the chav is like you got me you certainly showed me you proud woman even though even though that's not what you're being fired for in any stretch of the word huh. your your refusal to accept puff journalism something that has never come up throughout the course of this film is commendable <laughs> yep that that was so dumb. I was I, I couldn't have rolled my eyes harder. I would have hurt myself. <laughs> my arm is not long enough for the jerk off motion that is in my heart. <laughs> that is true. And your least favorite thing? Okay. The worst thing in this for me is, of course, the fact that there is no tension. Like, oh yeah. Normally in a movie you have some sort of like during your rising action, there's there's something going on that's like, oh my goodness, I have something I need to overcome, or some terrible thing that's going to happen to me, and there's nothing. Like, even the you're fired scene doesn't matter. No, she's still rich. She's still in the process of choosing between a millionaire and a billionaire. Yeah, it's just nothing. There's no tension at all in this, because there's no point where you're like, oh man, you have everything to lose, or even something to lose, or who gives a shit? It's just all wankery. It's like... Bridget Jones's baby was fan fiction that someone wrote for Bridget Jones, who really liked it and just made her the super winner of everything. Yeah. No, it really does read like Bridget Jones fan fiction. Like, they were like, well, the best parts of Bridget Jones are any of the parts where she actually looks really nice and and good things happen to her and bad things don't happen to her. Those are the bad parts of Bridget Jones. Yeah, I like Bridget Jones, so I'm just going to make it so that everything goes her way. Yeah, it's, it's such a victory lap of a movie. Yeah. And it's it's just boring and unnecessary. Oh, you know, another thing I wanted to say was a really bad thing in this movie is there's a sequence where uh, it's right before Colin Firth goes wandering off to find Bridget Jones, who has abandoned life and decided to be a homeless person. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene where he's, like, looking through a drawer and he finds some of her clothes, and he has a flashback to the first two movies. Yes. And uh, the first two movies feature young, hot Colin Firth, a couple shots of uh, Hugh Grant running around, but also a lot of shots of Renee Zellweger pre-plastic surgery. Yes. And, you know, I'm fully... Uh, there's a whole bunch of controversy over her getting plastic surgery and not looking good or whatever. Uh, I don't care what people do with their own faces. It's fine. The thing is, it, it looks like a flashback to, it. like, if Jennifer Connelly had been playing the role for the first two movies or something. <laughs> it looks like a whole different person. It's like he's going, oh, I remember that woman I met before Bridget Jones who was equally awkward. <laughs> what? They shouldn't have put those in there. They should have realized that that wasn't going to look especially good anymore. Uh, or they should have had her go, yes, I reached my ideal weight and had a great deal of plastic surgery. <laughs> uh, so there you go. And let's give our ratings for the movie. We're each going to give it a 1 to 5. That gives us out of 10. Jeff? Uh, it's going to get a 1. It's it's boring. Uh, the only thing that was redeeming that, that kept me from falling asleep during this movie is that we wisely chose the back row of the movie theater so our phones wouldn't bother people. <laughs> 
good, great. So it's I just I, I can't in good conscience rec- recommend this movie. If you're a fan of romantic comedies, if you uh, if you really like Renee Zellweger, if you really want to see a British uh, farce where the woman is cursy and so on, I recommend you watch Bridget Jones's Diary. I have not seen it. There is no way it is worse than this. <laughs> True, John. Uh, I'm going to give it a 1.5, and the 0.5 is mostly for. Uh, Dempsey glad and off Hitler. <laughs> glad, glad off Hitler. Get you a point two five, and the other point two five comes from Firth and Dempsey's re- uh, actions together. Those two have better chemistry than Renee Zellweger has with anyone. That is true. Uh, Anytime the two of them are together, I'm like, oh, you're actually fun. The problem is the movie doesn't want to let you interact that much. Yeah, you two fall in love. Do it. Oh yeah, it would be so. God, they're so good together in that movie. They really are. They are the Felix and Oscar of England. <laughs> it would have been so good, and yet London's big gay Bert and Ernie, and it, it, it could have happened. It could have, but it didn't. Yeah. So there we go. A two point five out of ten. Not a good film. Do not go see this. If you are a fan of any of thing of the things in this, like Jeff said, just watch something else. <laughs> if you like romantic comedies, unfortunately, this has no romance or comedy. It has an unearned super ending at the end. Yeah. I, I, like I said back in the pre-review, this is a Sex in the City style victory lap. This it is, is it is like the shittiest Shakespeare comedy that ever existed. Yeah. No, it really is. Oh boy, we have to end on a wedding. The two gentlemen of Verona putting up with some annoying woman. <laughs> Uh, so there you go. That has been our review of Bridget Jones's Baby. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, if you want to support us, we have a Patreon. You can go ahead and give us some money there. And uh, you can, of course, listen to our other podcasts, System Mastery mm-hmm. and The Afterthought, the companion podcast to System Mastery. And we uh, will have a ton of stuff coming up. We just reached a goal of ours, which means that the website is going to be expanded for the space so we don't have to delete anything. And we're also going to be ad-free now. Yep, we are ad-free. We've hit another goal. Yeah, today we hit a goal this morning. Yeah, we hit the goal of 420. Blaze it. It wasn't a real goal, but we managed to hit $420. Blaze it, smoke trees every day. Uh, you know, we are looking for new goals. If you guys have suggestions for that, you should let us know. Uh, but by the way, John, I feel like there are way more fake Shakespeare titles we could come up with for instead of the actual title of this movie. For example, Much Ado About Old, old Men's Penis Sizes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, anyway, please let us know what else you want to hear us do or see us do, and we'll try and figure it out, and we'll make it a goal. Now, remember, we will have the next In Theaters Now poll going up. In a couple of weeks yeah, it should or go up October. For the, yeah, it should go up by the end of September. We're, we're going to try and get it done by then. Now, just know, for this one, it'll be a little different than normal in that your only options will be horror movies because October is Horrortoberfest. Oh, I wasn't I wasn't uh, consulted on this decision. Get fucked. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> you know, as long as you're handling the movie side of the show, I'm okay with this. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I will be watching a horror movie every single day of October and reviewing it on the site. We will, of course, have a couple of those reviews be podcasts. Yeah, But the rest do. of them, you will have my written reviews. You can read my lovely prose and figure out what I think about something without Jeff there weighing me down. <laughs> That's all I do. <laughs> Man, I bet you wish you would add the idea for this podcast. You didn't have to deal with me for four years. God. <laughs> so, thank you so much for listening. We will get you next time on Movie Mastery. 
Go ahead and give us your suggestions for movies so that we can review them. But until then, you have a good week.